Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel. Welcome back to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 111, 111 from the goodness of God. We are broadcasting live, alive for us from the worldwide headquarters of the Gospel Underground here in Blacksburg, Virginia. I am here with my friend, my long lost brother from a different mother, my podcasting co host, color commentator of the <laughs> Underground. We're back, Jesse. Jesse Fury. What's up, man? Man, it's good to be back. It really is, man. It's, it's uh, good to be back. I don't know if I feel shame or guilt for not podcasting enough because I really, really want to podcast mm. frequently. And so I'm dealing with be my free, brother. I'm dealing with my inner soul uh, because I love doing this with you and I love the things we talk about and I love our listeners and I feel like we're not on here enough. But we're back and we're coming back. We have a great plan for the fall. We're going to be more bi-monthly again. Yeah. uh, Hey, it's good to be back here, though. It is really. It's good to be here. It is really good. I'm coming off a good sabbatical that I wish I was still on. Rested and come back into the piles of work and things flowing. I don't want to talk about that, but (laughs) the sabbatical was good, and it's good to be here in the studio. And we tried to do this last week, didn't we? We did. We We almost did it on Friday, but we just caught up. Together, so this is yeah. uh, was scheduled and then rescheduled, but uh, we're glad. Well, we'll be back roughly at the end of the week, every two weeks coming up soon. Uh, we have a few episodes remaining in our series about uh, the knowledge of the good. We've yeah. been talking about this from the book Science of the Good by Hunter Nedaleski. So we're finishing that up in the next two episodes. Today, we're going to talk about the world that God has made that has moral goodness and what is necessary for that to flourish in the world. So we'll talk about that today. Uh, from a Christian perspective, yeah. we're going to put on our uh, not looking at skeptics or post modernists or historical uh, people who are trying from the enlightenment to keep God out of goodness, but what it looks like for God to be good and for uh, the goodness of God, the justice of God to flow downhill into our lives, and then having the kind of culture together that makes the good flourish. So we'll do that today, and then um, the final episode in a couple of weeks, guys, we will talk about a couple historical examples, very briefly, Dr. Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham Jail, and then C.S. Lewis' uh, moral argument for God's existence from uh, the book Mere Christianity. And then from those two things, bridging into, hey, how might we use this in effective dialogue and interaction with people uh, who might really care about good and bad and justice in the world, but maybe not believe in God, and how we might lead them to that place through a discussion of the good. And so thank you guys for joining us again. Thanks for hanging with us through this series earlier in the summer. If you remember, we did look at this project, right, uh, to say if God doesn't exist, we're going to rationally and scientifically prove these objective morals. And it was an utter abject failure in history, just a a mess that kind of led to kind of moral skepticism, uh, existentialism. Well, there is no good or bad, no purpose, no meaning to life. So let's all jump off a cliff. Let's do it boldly. And into kind of the modern synthesis, well, maybe there is a good, it's not objective, but it comes from our brains or evolution or social goals. And so we'll make people, you know, wear masks or not wear masks for our social goals, whether it's good or bad, we don't know, there is no such thing. And so... We looked at it, the mess that left us in. I'm joking, guys, obviously, about mask wearing, because it's probably not controversial anywhere in, <laughs> in, in these United States. If you have friends that are very uh, full of zeal for either side of the COVID discussions, you know what I'm talking about. But really, without an objective standard for goodness, right, what are we left with? Well, power, self-interest, right, and nothing else to really call us to outside of uh, what we want, 
if there is no God. And now uh, this kind of condition was talked about, Jesse, by Jesus himself, right? Uh, this is in Luke 18. Jesus told a story, a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Now, Jesus is going to, this parable is about prayer. But what he says at the beginning, he says, in a certain city, there was a judge. Now, Jesse, if I were to say if, what a judge's job, what is a judge supposed to do? Yeah, a judge is supposed to rule in just ways, uh, lead and, and, and organize, make, you know, righteous declarations of whether or not someone is innocent or guilty, and in a sense, appeal to some kind of ultimate standard of what's right, that's what's right, just. That's right. You got people that got beef. Somebody has to make a, yeah. a just, hopefully a good <laughs> judgment. Two, two ladies come claiming that a kid is theirs, and the, yeah. the righteous judge has a has a clever way of... Cut the baby in yeah, half. Yeah, rip the baby in half, and you each get a half. And, real mom says, no, love yeah, the baby. Of fake, course, fake the, mom. the real mom is going to... Not want half of her child. She faked the funk on the knife coming down junk and yeah. uh, got sent back. So, yeah. <laughs> well, so in this parable, in the certain city, there was a judge <laughs> who neither feared God, okay, right away, nor respected man. And the word there is anthropos, humanity, right? So when you have this condition, no fear, no respect of God, amen, there's no higher authority than me or us or our social goals, and no respect for the image of God, humanity, right? Uh, this is our wild, wild world, man. No authority. Everyone's an authority. Everyone's an epidemiologist. Um, <laughs> some of our friends. What do we need, right? What do we need? We actually need objective, real, moral truths. And look, doesn't mean we always know them. Remember, moral ontology, these things are real. Moral epistemology, how do I know them? We have to learn them. But moral, real truths exist if God exists, right? And then what is necessary... And these things flow from Christian truth due to the fact that God is good and it's a moral universe that we live in. And so we're going to hit three things today, Jesse. Um, I'm just calling them solutions to kind of the dilemma of the good. Solution one is kind of shared moral agreement amongst humanity. We'll talk a little bit about natural law and that. Um, the second one is like, hey, what do we need? We need freedom to taste and see that the Lord is good. We need freedom of conscience, be able to exchange ideas. Uh, certainly what we worship and love or consider, we have to respect and do those things a certain way for the good to flourish. And then solution number three means we have to have true nonviolent tolerance, meaning some people have the right to be wrong, and that doesn't mean we get to blow them up, um, and moral courage to prophetically assert the good or the yeah. just or call for justice in the midst of an evil world. And certainly, in my view, to have that freedom to assert the good that necessitates something that in the American tradition, I guess we would call free speech. But hey, I'm, the word uh, we're starting out with is the word natural law or shared moral agreements. Natural law is a little bit controversial, Jesse. Different people from Christian tradition have different opinions upon this. Um we're going to define a little bit what we mean by that term in a simple form. If you're some philosopher listening, God bless you. We love you. Um, I love. I would love to hang with you actually and get into this. We're gonna. We're just gonna do this at a kindergarten level of what natural law. Remember, okay, we start with moral ontology exists because God is good. God is even we could say goodness, right? Um, God then wills things and commands things of human beings according to His own good 
unchanging nature. So what God commands is good because God is good, not because of some other standard. Philosophically, if you are a philosophy nerd, that's called divine essentialism. It's not voluntarism. It's, hey, God wills things according to his own being, his own good nature. And so the natural law tradition in Christianity says that there's different kinds of law. And uh, in a basic sense, you might say that we have civil laws, like if you go up to a green light, or no, this is a better one I could ask you, Jesse. If you see a yellow light, what is that telling you to do? And, you better hurry up. Ah, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. My my two kids that drive are like, Dad, it's a yellow light. means caution. You should slow down. I was like, nah, it means haul booty. You got to get, get through the light. You got to hurry up. Right, but the, you know, red light. Green light, what side of the road we drive on, right? Uh, What certain symbols mean. These are legal things, right? And if you drive fast through a light that's red, you will get penalized in our culture. But you're not violating perhaps like uh, thou shalt not commit murder, right? That's a civil convention that we've agreed on as a society. And we need to do these things. Every culture needs to have these things. Hey, here's how we're going to do it. Here's how banking works, things like that. Civil laws. Now, natural law or what Thomas Aquinas might have called participation or human participation in in God's law um, or what what a, a professor at University of Texas calls what we can't not know is kind of the idea that human beings are made by God to have a certain moral understanding. This is a moral universe. We're image of God. We were made for this. And we participate in goodness or badness. And we have kind of this in deep conscience that we know right or wrong, unless we're doing some evil with suppressing it or sin kind of getting in the way. And so uh, the text of Scripture, Jesse, I'll just have you read it for us. This is in Romans uh, chapter 2 that kind of gets to this heart level knowledge of morality. Yeah, Romans 2, 12, <clears throat> 12 through 16. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles, non-Jews, who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their confli- conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Okay, so not to get into a long exegetical discussion of the whole book of Romans, but one of the things we need to hear here, the law being talked about here is God's law, right? It's it's more divine law. And that Jewish people in covenant with God were given things like the Ten Commandments, right? They understood God's precepts in the way he would Plus have almost 600 other yeah. case, case laws. Yeah. How to apply those Ten Commandments that's right. in that's everyday right. life. I mean, it was like very detailed. Yes, yeah. very detailed. And that's a good... I love that you use the word case law yeah. because what the Old Testament has isn't all the moral law. The moral law is cap- encapsulated, right, in the Ten Commandments, which has to do with God and people. Uh, and then there's all sorts of case law or casuistry, right, of how do you work that out in the ancient world. And so uh, we have to work that out in our own world. And if we're going to make good moral laws and even our own civil codes, we ought to make it just or good, right? So, But the Gentiles that didn't have this, they knew it in some way. It was written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness to. So 
uh, people, because they're made by God, know and understand a, at a certain level uh, the moral law and that they're accountable to someone for it. So, uh, you know, if you're, you know, torturing children for fun, you don't need a written commandment from God to know because in your own conscience and your conflicting thoughts, you ought to know that, right? And guys, we ought to expect human beings to have this basic moral knowledge because they're made by God. Now, one of my favorite books on this subject is by Jay Bujashevsky. Uh, he's professor of philosophy, political philosophy at University of Texas at Austin. He wrote a book called What We Can't Not Know, A Guide, which I don't know, Jesse, if I'm just a philosophy nerd, but I love that title. What yeah. we can't, we can't help but knowing these things, but you need a guide, right? Um, he says this in the beginning of his book, our subject is called natural law because it's built into the design of human nature and woven into the fabric of the normal human mind. Another reason for calling it natural is that we rightly take it to be about what really is. A rule like the prohibition of murder reflects not mere an illusion or a protection or a social goal, I might add, but genuine knowledge. It expresses actual moral character of a certain kind of act. That, in other words, it's built into the universe that murder, wrongful killing of another human being, uh, is in fact naturally built into us and nature wrong as de- de- declared and defined and created by God. Mm. Um, and now he, there's discussion of this, of whether this counts as knowledge, right? That we know these things. And in, in the beginning of this book, Budjusevsky says this, to say that they are all the same as to knowledge means at some level everyone knows them. So there are certain moral things about the universe that everyone knows. Even the murderer knows that murder is wrong. The adulterer knows the wrong of adultery. The marker of the the mocker of wrong of mockery. He may say that he doesn't know, but he does. There are no real moral skeptics. Supposed skeptics are playing make believe and doing it badly. Mm. Mm, you know, and, and uh, if you're, you you had mentioned earlier about how uh, there's kind of in the Christian world natural law, especially in the non, uh, in the Protestant Christian world, natural law or natural revelation is, um, you know, sometimes frowned upon. Frowned upon, or... but but really, <clears throat> what we're talking about is not knowledge, not knowledge sufficient unto salvation or unto unto a kind of um, a full knowledge of. God, right? not not into a full knowledge of God or, or what's required for uh, for salvation, but but it it's true truth. It's it's good. It's knowledge, and That's right. and really, I think you know it's it's Luther and Bart that we have to thank for our aversion to this, yeah. and uh, and they had some pretty unique things going on, and I think some wrong readings of Aquinas by them, but yeah, for, for sure, sure. Yeah. especially by Bart, or yeah. maybe by both, but. You know, Luther had a lot going on in the in the kind of late medieval Roman Catholicism that he was he was living in. Bart is addressing this blood and soil theology that is uh, he's he looks at with horror and yeah. is like, no, there's no point of contact between yeah. uh, what we can feel and see here and God. That point of contact is in the special revelation of the Jesus, scriptures of right. Jesus. God, yeah. yeah, the word who comes to us. Yeah, so so you kind of have to appreciate where they're writing and go and say, all right, well. In that context, it makes sense, but you, you've kind of re- read Aquinas wrong. And, and whereas what we're seeing here in Romans two, and what we can't not know is that uh, there is 
access. And there the, actually is a point of contact. That's right. I, I think so. And, you know, certainly the reformed theological tradition is, gets a little riled up at the idea of natural knowledge or natural, you know, because the mind has fallen, uh, so-called noetic effects of sins. Of course, I agree with that. People twist things. People, uh, Romans 1 says, people suppress the truth in wickedness or unrighteousness. Yeah. So, But that doesn't mean they're not made in the image of God still. Now, this probably gets into a technical discussion of how messed up the image of God is because of sin. Yeah. Um, I, I like the old phrase I heard from a, a, an old Thomistic philosopher who said the image of God is effaced, like, but not erased. That nobody becomes a non-human because of sin, but yeah. there's something very flawed, very twisted, very broken. But we should be able to have human conversations about good and bad with Christians and non-Christians. Now, we may not agree on the minutia, but there is a base thing in the conscience, unless it's dulled and suppressed, that we should act like is real, mm-hmm. at least as Christians, right? We should say, this, ha- this happened to me, Jesse, Oh my goodness, 15, 20 years ago now, I was in the Czech Republic, and I was uh, talking with a, a professor, actually, at the Charles University, and we were at a kind of a pub, and you know he was drinking lots of Czech beer, and we were asking questions about each other's worldview, and I remember asking him why he thought uh, that there were, was good and bad in the world if he didn't believe in God, and he said, well, who says I believe in that? I was like, oh, you don't. Um, and this maybe gets still a little bit ahead in our other episode, how to talk to people. I was like, so you believe n- nothing is truly good or bad? He goes, not really. It's just what people think. I was like, okay. So when you know the Nazis drove tanks into the Czech Republic and said, our land now and not yours, was he doing anything wrong? And he went like, he gave me this kind of, in French, come see, come saw kind of view. He's like, oh, may- maybe not for him. Maybe it was right for Hitler. I was like, how about when he put people in ovens and gassed them and cooked them and buried them in mass graves? He goes, well, in his view, maybe he was doing right where we didn't prefer it. And I was like, you really think that? He goes, yeah, probably. It's the way it's the way the world is. I was like, oh, that, is that true? He goes, well, you know what I mean. I was like, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> in fact, I was like, do you think that like torturing babies for fun is maybe okay for the one who likes to torture babies? Um, and he said, maybe. Now, Jesse, at this point, Either this person is a psychopath yeah. or a monster um, or he's playing an intellectual game. Yeah. And so yeah. in order to get my point across, I, I just felt led to do this. I didn't argue with him anymore. I just looked at him like this. And if you're watching the video, I just looked at him and recorded. I went like this, like he was a moral monster. Yeah. And then he moved towards me, touched my arms and said, oh, no, no, I don't really think that. Uh. And I said, well, quit playing games because this is a world where people do these things. And if we don't have the moral rectitude and fortitude, um, say at the Nuremberg trials to condemn Nazis, what are we left with? And so there is this idea that people, when Budzhevsky says there are no real moral skeptics, they're playing make-believe. We need to believe that good exists and call people on these things. And when you were describing that just now, and you said uh, you stopped arguing and you made I thought you were going to deck him. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, <laughs> no. Was that, that would, good? That would be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'll punch you in the face. If I, I mean, punch you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, right I just decided, like, he is saying absurdly yeah. evil things in a kind of pseudo-intellectual postmodern way. And so I thought the best thing to look at him like he was some sort of demon, which he didn't like. And he realized the implication of saying, you know, torturing babies yeah. for fun is maybe not objectively wrong um have some courage professor so so look where does this leave us we need to assume 
goodness is real because God is real, right? That's our presupposition as a follower of Jesus. And so that makes things like moral instruction in, in what's good and virtuous and moral formation or character development makes it actually real, makes it actually matter. You're actually, right, developing in us. And I know you like this, Jesse. We're developing virtue, right? Truly good things in our life because we're uh, learning about what you know good and bad is, and kids should learn that, and it then forms us in our character so we don't become twisted human beings far from what God would have us to do so that you know the simple commands of loving God, loving people, right, uh, worshiping God, not uh, murdering people, not committing adultery, all these things uh, really matter. And um, I really like you know the idea that you actually are trans transformed by obeying God's will by his spirit in us and it transforms us actually you slipped that in there because you knew I liked it <laughs> the, vir- the virtue, virtue. Yeah. yeah yeah well I mean, really in, in what you're describing is the idea that uh, when we become more virtuous we're becoming more uh, we're, we're really becoming more closely aligned with what is virtue what is yeah. good you yeah. know that yeah. we're, we're not creating it ourselves we're uh, we're we're becoming closer to uh, right. uh, you know closer to being what uh, Harawas talks about the grain you know yeah. the grain of the universe the grain of goodness That's we right. kind of find the grain as as our as we're formed and developed and become more virtuous That's so right. yeah, yeah man work it in there for me I like and that. and that includes like virtues of humility right a proper view a sober judgment of oneself so we don't become like holier than thou right. And that's very important as we interact with others. So number one, it's necessary for the good to flourish, for us to believe it's real. We believe that because of God and God's design of us. And then we assume that other people know this, even if they're trying to deny it, and we live that way and hold each other to it. What a, a second thing, Jesse, that's necessary is that we do need, particularly in the areas of religion, right? We need to be free to what the Bible says, taste, Okay, and now this is a long history in theological reflection of what does it mean to taste? Well, taste is something immediate to the conscience, right? You know, like that something is sweet directly almost. And there's whether whether you view it as a the vision of God that's either supernaturally given or given through mediation through like God's word, uh, that this idea of seeing or tasting. And, and even hearing, using these tangible physical senses to talk about spiritual realities is something very present throughout the Bible. So, for instance, Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Or as Jesus taught many times when he would teach in parables, he would say afterwards, it's kind of like a mic drop thing, I think, when Jesus taught. He would teach a parable, and he would say, He who has ears to hear let him hear. Now we know, right, Jesse, that this is a uh, a supernatural act of God, right? To open ears, to open eyes, to give us taste for things we didn't have taste for previously. That's what you know the Christian tradition means by salvation, right? That we become alive to God when we we're dead to God. Um, so, but for that to be necessary, I think for the good to flourish, we have to have freedom. What what our civilization calls freedom of religion. Right, that um, nobody should be made to believe in God, and and certainly everyone should have a right to hear uh, the good news of God uh, through uh, an open exchange. And so this is was very important, obviously, 
in the founding of our country for various reasons. One, to kind of keep the peace um, and so that people didn't like persecute other people for having different religions, which history is replete with that in all different traditions. Uh, people do this to each other, Christian, non-Christian religions, all, no religions. You get power, people persecute each other. So you read things like in the First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion, no official state religion, or, and this is forgotten sometimes by our secular friends, prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging freedom of speech or the press or the right to assembly or peaceably assembly and the petition of the government for a redress of our grievances. So this like prevents, Lord willing, and our having courage to keep our republic, yeah. uh, prevents things like the Taliban, right? Like, oh, they're gonna, we're going to take over and make everyone. And look, Christians should not want that. We should not want to take over the government and make everyone yeah. believe stuff. Because one, it's impossible. We can't do that. It's not our work. It's God's work. We just want freedom to do so. Freedom to exchange ideas, including religious truths, moral truths, and be able to share that freely without fear. Now, sometimes this is misunderstood in American history, the the, the idea of a separation of church and state. People think that's in the Constitution or something. That's a phrase that actually came from Thomas Jefferson writing a letter, Jesse, to a group of concerned Baptists. Baptists. Why, you know, why do you think the Baptists were worried, man, in like 1802? <laughs> well, the Baptists in 1802 would have been worried that they would be excluded from participation in the common life of, of Connecticut because of not being the the uh, the state-sponsored, Ang- right. I'm, I assume, Anglican. Um, um, I, I, don't know, I don't know what Connecticut was at the time, if it was Congregationalist or some, I yeah, don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, but they were a minority religion yep. in, in their place. And they didn't want the government coming in and telling them, you know, they could participate or not, or they might be persecuted by the government for having a different religion. And so Jefferson was actually assuaging the fear of religious people, not driving some secular agenda. He was just saying, hey, look, no, you're going to have the freedom of conscience to believe what you want and baptize people as you want. And this is a very interesting letter. It's called Letter to the Danbury Baptist Association in Connecticut, January 1, 1802. I'll read a portion of it. It says, Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, right? Uh, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, right? That the legitimate powers of government reach actions only, not opinions. I contemplate with a sovereign reference that the act of the whole American people, which that this, their legislators should make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, thus building a wall of separation between church and state. Adhering to this expression of supreme will of the nation in behalf behalf of the rights of conscience, I shall see with sincere satisfaction the progress of those sentiments which tend to restore man to his natural rights. And this is, again, the idea that human rights, right, that you have certain rights as a human being's, and one of those is to worship according to the tenets and convictions of one's conscience. Now, where does this come from? Like, why, uh, why, for instance, Jesse, could you imagine, say, in, in, in Islamic tradition, right, and to our Muslim friends who may be listening, 
I mean, this is no slight. I think this is fairly accurate that you would agree with me on this. In Islamic tradition, uh, the prophet, in the original prophet, Muhammad, right, he he was a combination of a political leader, also led his uh, people in battle, uh, and then also was the uh, leader of the religious community. Yeah. And so this idea of the unity of the state and the religious community is built into Islam. How did Christianity, even though some tried throughout history to merge church and state, where do you think this comes from or why we should care about this ultimately, Jesse, uh, that we should keep these things separated? Man, that's a really good question. Um, so without getting too much into, into kind of a historic survey, um, I, like to address, I like to go at this theologically. Yeah. That um, when our king came, uh, he came as, uh, he didn't come and just destroy everybody and, and conquer right. everyone at once. He actually came and subjected himself to, uh, to the temporal rulers who really, in a, just like this, he could have, you know, overthrown, yeah, vaporized them. Right. And, and then really what he did is, is he, is he said, Hey, this is the fulfillment of all the promises to my people and the Psalms right. and the prophets that, that this, this covenant, this kingdom would now open up and all tribes, tongues, and languages would be part of this kingdom. Right. And so, so uh, when the psalmist says, why do the he- heathens or the nations rage in vain, uh, that it's not, not, no longer to be understood as the non-Christian nations, but as the people set, up, set against God. Yeah. And that, that the kingdom of God now actually is uh, transnational. It's, uh, you know, it's meant to be this kind of kaleidoscopic kingdom of every right. tribe, tongue, and language. And so, and so uh, for us, I think as Christians, our ultimate allegiance is first to the kingdom that transcends national boundaries. And, uh, and then we, 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 and then because I think we, uh, dignify the, the man made in the image of God, uh, compelling man, uh, by government edict to worship in a particular way is to violate what we think is uh, inherent in them, which is the image of God. And their responsibility for their own conscience and convictions before God, if they're worshipers or if they're persisting in rebellion against God. And well, I mean, Islam is a, is a worldwide transnational brotherhood as well, but here's the difference, right? Jesus, we know as our prophet revealing to us, God, our priest connecting us back to God and our King, he's our rightful ruler. Whereas Muhammad was prophet, political leader, and warlord. Yeah. And there, there's a difference there. And the, and then, so what flows downstream from that is a very different view of a uh, vision of human government. One would say, create civil laws according to the culture and people and what's needed here. Others would say, Sharia law, the law of God is the law of the land. Now this goes right back even Jesse uh, a lot of people don't realize this the importance of some of the statements that Jesus made that we can actually look at. So for instance in Luke 20, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or pay taxes, right? Should I pay the IRS, Jesse? Um, but he perceived the people asking him this question, he perceived their craftiness. And he said to them, you know, give me some Benjamins, right? He said, give me a denarii or Roman coin. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? Now, this is kind of like brilliant wisdom, right? People are trying to get him in trouble with the government saying, do you have to pay to Caesar? He goes, well, give me the money. Whose head's on it? Well, he said, they said Caesar's. And he said to them, then render or give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. 
And, and, and interestingly, Jesse, both in every Christian tradition, right? Even, even like medieval Roman Catholicism, every tradition held that there's these separate realms, the things of political Caesar, right? The world and things of God. And this separation, right, is intended. And that the kingdoms of this world are not the kingdom of God, right? But the citizens of the kingdom of God dwell within them as a different presence, right? And this goes back to Jesus himself. And so we should value this. We should value people's right to be uh, uh, Christians or not, atheists or not, Muslims or not, Hindus or not, um, Zoroastrianisms or worshipers of dragons, you know, not dragons where they believe they should kill people or something, but, you know, because that would violate the moral law, natural law. But within reason, as long as we're not morally destroying people, people should be able to do and believe as their conscience dictates. So that's why, as Christians, we don't bow to compulsion of political power. That's why there's a long Christian tradition, right, of saying, judge for yourselves, should we obey God or people because of this separation. It justifies rightful civil disobedience against injustice and speaking out against it, right? Um, And also uh, values the opinions of others. And so that leads us, Jesse, to our third point. Um, Not only is there goodness that's expressed from God and exists in the image of God, and I would say built into nature, natural law, uh, and people need to have freedom of conscience and religion. Also, that means the implication of that is that our approach or posture in the world is to have a true nonviolent tolerance of different ideas. Uh, Tolerance doesn't mean everybody's right. It means uh, people have the freedom to be wrong, and we don't punish them for it right. physically. I mean, we can say, hey, that's dumb, right? Saying say, saying something's dumb and I don't believe it isn't violence. You can say uh, you have the freedom. I respect your freedom respect to be wrong about that. as a that. human being <laughs> to be wrong. And, and people can, you know, I mean, you know, I've, I've been said that, said that to me for being a Christian yeah, by people, yeah. right? Very close to me. So that's well, I, built in, true tolerance. Right? Yeah, and I think um, if, you're, if you're looking for further reading, you're listening, and um, I, I wish I had books off the top of my head here, but... Um, what helps me thinking about this when it comes to say the common good of a of a culture, a civilization, a place is is really Abraham Kuyper and his his uh, his pluralism. Yeah. So you know, Kuyper was a statesman, a Dutch statesman, turn of the century. I'm not endorsing everything he thought or taught. I'm just yeah. you know, as everyone in the past, he's problematic. We'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're gonna be great. I'm gonna be fine when history doesn't remember either one of us. <laughs> well, well, our reputation is secure. <laughs> We my, grand, the, my grandkids will love me. We were the Dutch premier or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So he was a prime minister, founded a, the anti-revolutionary party, theologian, and um, and really kind of developed a um, a theory of the public life where where each sphere, each um, what he would call maybe confessional communities, even if they're not um, religious communities. So uh, is is respected, not just tolerated, but uh, is allowed to operate with their sphere of expertise, their yeah. their particular kind of vocation within the broader culture, with a degree of um, of freedom and autonomy, yeah. and and so that the the role of the government is to serve as the kind of referee between these, you know, when these competing things. interests and, come and, around, and the church and, doesn't have to do that because yeah. the church is its own sphere. That's right, That's and right. and so um, so I, I I find that to be helpful when we think about. A Christian view that that uh, promotes, you know, uh, tolerance of um, of different ideas, of 
different religious practices, uh, as long as those things still within stay within the bounds of what's good. The moral law. True and that's beautiful. Right, moral that's law. right. That's right. And look, this does not mean that there won't be moral uh, discussions, moral learning. Remember, moral epistemology, but moral ontology. Securing the idea that there is the good and it flows downhill from the being and person of God through his commands allows us then to have wisdom and to apply morality to complex situations in an ever-changing world and in modern life, right? Uh, the good has to be, we, we don't want to, hey, what kind of laws do we want for our culture? Let's pass unjust laws. Nobody wants that. And if you think justice, injustice, good and bad are fake, what are we doing, right? So that's why the com- the compelling nature, say we'll look at next time, Jesse, of Dr. King's letter uh, from Birmingham jail, he calls and appeals to a moral law outside of the culture to condemn yeah. a cultural moment that was doing evil, right? Um, and that's necessary. So uh, true. So solution three, we need a true v- a nonviolent tolerance and moral courage to make prophetic assertions of the good. And by that, I mean we state what is good and bad. Even the church, I think, has a role in this, right, to call out the evils of society and of our own lives and to live in repentance and faith in that. And so prophetic assertion of the good necessitates, in my view, at least in a peaceable format, freedom of speech, right? And that's something about the uh, the, the nature of our culture today where people are like, you shouldn't be able to say anything yeah. because speech is, vi- speech is not violence. Violence is violence. And so we don't want to have violence, but we should be able to speak our mind. It's necessary to call out things that are wrong and to learn and hear from others. Now, if the government or whoever else says that you cannot assert the good prophetically, you know what, Jesse? We do it anyway. You got to do it. We do it anyway. Uh, because judge for yourself is, should we obey God or man? Well, the answer for those who follow God, follow Jesus, is that we will obey him. Come what may, that's where we have to have courage, right? Dr. King had courage to say certain things that he did in a certain time. And again, Dr. King wasn't a perfect man. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wasn't a perfect man, but stood up to Nazism, right? And the moral complexities necessary within his own tradition to do that uh, in a place where there wasn't any freedom of speech to say that. And uh, he gave his, he gave his life in it. Yeah. You you really, you know, uh, Feel compelled to talk about Bonhoeffer. So. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the Bonhoeffer House guy. Yeah, BonhoefferHouse.com um, <laughs> slash give, I think is the website. Uh, <laughs> but Bonhoeffer was, uh, uh, and he worked this out in his ethics, which he considered, you know, it's kind of his magnum as, you know, just before he was in prison. But um, the idea of a Christianity that didn't have concrete responsibilities in the here and now in everyday life was... No, there's no such thing. It's absurd, uh, right? It's yeah. absurd, and so so he had to work out his concrete responsibilities to uh, to take a stand for what's good, and that's right. and that and that's, that's right. you see that in his life that that you know it ended up getting him uh, well hanged. Yeah, but. yeah. Well, Jesse, here's where we stand in light of goodness, um, and I want you guys to know 
like the secular world or the intellectual world that's tried to find moral goodness apart from God, that's why we started with the book, Science of the Good, is an abject failure. There should be no embarrassment that goodness exists in the world but exists outside of us, and we're accountable to God as a person who is good. Uh, We should have no shame in that, right? We should have confidence to have courage. And so where do we stand in the world? We stand for moral truth, and we act and live as if it's real, right? And that others, in some sense, at least know uh, that there is a good. We stand for religious freedom. We stand for the courage to speak and to speak truth, moral truth, uh, to the world and from the grace of God. Now, Jesse, where we're headed next episode, we're going to look at good in the world and how we articulate that to others, because I do think there's a compelling witness. God has given people a moral vision and a conscience to know maybe their own culpability, my own culpability in sin and wrong, and then also uh, to cry out in the midst of brokenness, oh Lord, save us, right? We forget easily, man, as comfortable people compared to, you know, if you were in if you were outside the Kabul airport today, you'd be crying out, oh, save us, right? Yeah, yeah. And this is something in Christian history. If you read, say, somebody like Augustine, the North African theologian and philosopher, he was talking about salvation. He's talking about you can't trust your health. You're going to die. You're going to get sick. You can't You can't trust your yeah. stuff. Somebody could come in and maraud and take your stuff. They'll show up at the tank and take your stuff. He said, you can't trust any of this stuff, ultimately. They can't be what's best for us. And he said, the things that must best for us must be able to be... Uh, possessed by us so we could have it can't be taken away from us against our will and he said that has to be god yeah. it has to be his truth and that being found by him is the most secure thing possible mm. and we need to witness to the one who is the truth to the one who is goodness who said i'm the way the truth and the life and no man comes to the father but through me jesse it's great to be oh, back. Oh, it's good to be back. It's good. It's to great to have Bonhoeffer Bonhoeffer dot slash give <laughs> with us. Hey, I'm a I'm a monthly supporter of the Let's Bonhoeffer go, House. Come on, my family's in. You should be in too. How about Jesse? He's doing good work here. The Gospel Underground podcast is produced in partnership with the Bonhoeffer House. Review us on iTunes. Five stars. Send your comments, feedback, questions that you might want us to take up here to info. At gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue, Jesse. Me and you, we're having a dialogue dialogue. right now. Taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture. Hope to see you out there, guys. Peace.